So last week, I started sharing our vision and our direction for 2024. And uh, we said that that new vision, or this fresh vision for this year is to go, right? To move, to live sent, right? We looked at Matthew chapter 28, and we know that this great commission that we see in verses 16 through 20 is where Jesus sort of gives us his order, or he gives us this better understanding of what it means to go in the context of Christianity. Like, what's our mission? What's our purpose? What's our call? And so Jesus breaks it down right at the end of his ministry before he ascends, and it's more than just soliciting random people with the gospel on the streets, right? It's more connection with them and walking with them to the cross. A lot of times we think we just need to win a debate or to convince people with a convincing argument to believe what we believe, but that's not at all. I don't see that anywhere in scripture, really. The only thing I see is Peter saying, just be ready to give a reason for your hope. But that's not what he's talking about here. We're not talking about, you know, making converts. Jesus is talking about making disciples. That is his model for the church, and that's what he did with his 12 men. And that's why you're all sitting here today thousands of years later. Because it's effective. Because it works. Because it's the only way to build God's kingdom. And so our job is to invest ourselves in this. Last week, right, some people raised their hands. Pastor Willie invited people to receive Christ. And some people raised their hand, which is awesome. I mean, that's what we want, right? But beyond that profession of faith in that moment, we need to now walk with you. We need to now invite you in. And you need to allow us in. You need to come forward. You need to engage this faith family, and you need to become a disciple. That's what Christianity is. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not, it's not a label or a box that we check on a form somewhere. It's a lifestyle. It's a commitment. It's saying, okay, I was once walking this way. I was once living this way. Well, now I've given my life to this, and I am now going to walk this way. I'm now going to follow Jesus. And that's our call. This is a lifestyle. This is a change in everything that we do, and thank God for that, because we need to be changed. You all raised your hands. You all know you need change. And so let's do this together. Let's not just sit here and expect it to happen without any action on our part. Let's realize that this call to discipleship is demanding, but it's good. It stretches us, but it completes us. There's an abundant life on the other side of this that you're missing out on if you're not fully engaging in that process. You can't have your foot in both worlds. You just can't. Jesus calls that lukewarm, and he says, I'll spit you out. Right? This isn't a wimpy church. We're not here because we want to hear fluff. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not here to tell you how to fix all your problems. What I'm here to do is to tell you the truth of the word of God, to make sure you understand what God has called you to, to make sure you understand that this is a new way of life. And we love you enough to make sure that you understand that. You may not like me for it, and I don't care. <laughs> I'm still going to love you. It's that simple. And it's hard to not like me, just so you know. <laughs> just kidding. See that? I got a little props over there. Discipleship requires deep, committed relationship. So it's only through relational discipleship that we can accomplish this great commission and genuinely live out this calling that Jesus has placed on each and every one of us. That's it. This is my thesis statement for you today. 
There's no other way around it. We aren't called to be members of an organization so we can reap the benefits, right? We're called to forcefully advance the kingdom of God and bring the gospel message to every corner of the world. That's our call. What, a, what an honor. What a privilege to be part of this movement that Christ started. God came down and started a movement, and he's invited you into it. He didn't just say, come to church on Sundays and your lives will be a little bit better. And that's this fluff message that's, that we've unfortunately adopted, this religious mindset that if I act a certain way and I show up a certain place, that I'm good. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, come to me all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Die to self. Pick up your cross and come follow me and I'll give you abundant life. Life to the full, he says. All these things you've been pursuing, all these things that you have thought were the answer that didn't satisfy, they're not. I am. Come to me. And so that means whatever corner of the world, whatever corner you find yourself in, wherever God has placed you, it is there that we need to live out this calling just like Jesus did and pour into those whom we have access to. There are people all around you, and there are families that we're part of. There are workplaces that we, are, we belong to, communities and groups and things like that nature. It doesn't matter where you are. God's put you there for a reason. He spreads us out for a reason because he wants to disseminate the message, but he also wants to see people living this out publicly. We're different. We're peculiar. We're weird. That's Okay. Most of you were weird before Jesus, so don't worry. Just better weird now. See, what happens is, is we often get too focused on building a church instead of growing the kingdom. I'm going to say that again. We get too focused and too busy building the church instead of building the kingdom. And there's only one way to build the kingdom, right? We get too focused on what it looks like, how many people show up, how good we sound, how nice everything is. Aesthetics, image, trying to draw people in. But that's not at all anywhere in the gospel that I see Jesus doing. As a matter of fact, when the crowds got big, he started saying crazy stuff. He wanted to see who was for real. Are you for real today? Are you here because you want change? Are you here because you want Christ? Are you here? because you want to follow him. That's the, that's the million dollar question, right? I said last week how small community builds up big community. You want to build the church? Then start small. Relationship, relationship, relationship. We have community groups for that reason, right? We have ministry opportunities for that reason. We have Wednesday night for that reason. We have Monday nights with the men. We have Tuesday nights with the women. Show up. It's in those places that church happens. It's in those places that people are grown and tested and stretched and broken and rebuilt. And that's when you see the church grow. That's where the strength of the church is, church small. Pastor Brian and I share a quote by a man named Mike Breen quite often. And he says, you know, if you build a church, church, excuse me, church, I don't know. Sound like a Jewish woman from New York. If, if, if we build a church... We rarely get disciples, but if you build disciples, you always get the church. There's no mystery. 
We make it a mystery. We're consumers. We love to build and to say, look what I did. Look what I'm growing. Look at how cool this is. My church is better than your church. My music is better than your music. My preacher is better than your preacher. And there's some truth to that. <laughs> but the point is, is we're so focused on the, the minutia and the details that don't matter that we miss the bigger points. What's our focus today, God? What are we doing? Are we serving you? Are we living for you? Or are we living for some image that we've created, some ideal that we've concocted? Through this series titled, Now Go, I said that we would be breaking this down this, into three different ways that we're called to go on a biblical basis, right? And last week, we talked about going together, how we're called together to sort of do life together, to reach the lost together, that the church is a body of many, right? And now this week, I'm going to talk about going for others. What does that look like? How do we go for others, those who can't go for themselves or don't even know they need to? And then next week, uh, hopefully, God willing, I'm going to talk about going alone when necessary because there's times when that happens too. I shared how the Bible was written to a people, not a person. Hear that. The Bible, all the letters that comprise it, were lit, written to a people. And sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we personalize it because we're very self-centered, aren't we? What does this mean to me? What does this mean for me? How does this impact me? What can I get out of this? That's an American mindset, not a biblical one. Right? Everything we do, every little thing, is meant to be done in community together. Right? When we don't adopt this community mindset and our call to go together, then we become self-centered consumers who are just looking for what Christianity or church can do for us instead of what we can do for it. As I read Romans 12 last week, it said, you know, Paul reminded us that once our minds are renewed by the truth of the gospel, we must allow it to transform us and humble ourselves to the fact that we're really not that special. We spend so much time worrying about me, I, right? I want attention. I want validation. I want accolades. I want respect. I want to be known. And we spend our lives pursuing those things. And guess what? At the end of the day, that may be all you get. And so what? When you die, and when you're laid to rest, that won't matter at all. The only thing that will impact is your funeral attendance. Because it's the legacy you leave behind for God. It's the legacy of how you loved that matters. And so I want you to think about this. Every gift and ability that we possess comes from him. You did not manifest it in and of yourself. You may have cultivated it, but for those of you who play music, for example, you just had a knack for it, didn't you? It con you connected with it. Some of you maybe not, you just think you do, but that's a whole other story. Keep singing. Joyful noise, right? 
My point is, is that there are certain things that we feel connected to. There are certain things that we relate to that speak to us. And then we develop them over our lives. And most of the time, what ends up happening, unfortunately, is that we exploit these gifts and abilities for ourselves, for our own purposes and our agendas. And you know what that's called? Sin. It's called sin. Because if we're looking at Romans 12, like we read last week, is that all of us are given gifts and abilities for the whole, not for ourselves, not for our agendas, but to show the world what God's good and perfect and pleasing will for us is. That's it. Anything short of that becomes sinful. It becomes self-centered. It becomes all about us. So now that we understand the importance and the need to go together, I want to look at what it means to go for others. Let's go to Matthew Chapter 25. <clears throat> and I'm just going to read verses 31 through, I think, 40 for the sake of time and because there's so much here. It says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come receive your reward. Come get what's yours. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Here's the big picture. This is the Olivet Discourse, as some of you know it. It's also known as the End Times Discourse. It's towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And so we know that just in a few days, he would be crucified. So he's teaching some heavy stuff, right? He's laying it all out. Chapters 24 and 25 give us some insights into what the, what's going to happen, what the end times are going to look like. And so Jesus is preparing us. He's preparing his disciples. And Jesus ends his discourse by telling this parable of the sheep and goats, which pictures the dividing of the saved from the unsaved. And this is happening at the end of the tribulation before the commencement of Christ's millennial reign. So everyone will have to give account for their actions, he's saying. Everyone, good or bad. And the unpunished injustices that occurred in the world will not remain unpunished. There will be justice. Right? The sinful and, 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 and the heathen may get away with it for now. But they will answer for their actions. Stop worrying about that. Someone needed to hear that today. The secret good deeds of the humble will be brought to light and rewarded. Right? 
We're not looking for the immediate reward or the pat on the back. There's an eternal one that will be rewarded. So let's look quickly at the parabolic teaching from Jesus in Matthew 25. First, he talks about the 10 virgins. And he compares these virgins to the kingdom of God. He says that five were unprepared for the bridegroom and their lamps, they, their lamps ran out of oil. They were unprepared. And so what happens is that they run out for oil and they miss the wedding feast. They miss the bridegroom. And the lesson in that parable is this. Be ready because you know not the day or hour of the Lord's return, right? I don't care how much eschatological, geez, that's a tough word, huh? I don't care how much eschatological study you've done, spit it out that time. I don't care how much you know about end times. The most important thing you can know is he's coming back, be ready. And that's what Jesus is teaching here with the 10 virgins. Right? And then he talks about the talents, the parable of the talents. And it says, you know, the master commended the servants who invested their talents, and then he condemned and punished the slothful servant who did nothing. He just stuck it in his pocket. He buried it. He held on too tightly to what was given to him. Ooh. How often, this is what I'm talking about, when God gives you all these gifts and abilities and talents and influence, and all you do is keep it for yourself, you are the slothful servant. So the lesson is, is we'll be judged based on how we use what God entrusted to us. And those who invest what they have will be given even more. And so start giving. Start serving. So there's one continuous thought here. He didn't just, you know, again, we break down scripture with chapters and verse numbers and, and so on and so forth. But this is one letter, one thought, one lesson. And so... Jesus is sharing this all in one breath as he goes into this parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep being the righteous and the goats, the wicked. Filthy little goats. I don't like goats that much. I had some bad experiences, so I like this. He says that judgment will be based on how we loved. Specifically here, how we loved the least of these. What? You're all going to be judged. We're all going to be judged on how we loved. That matters. Not on just what you do. There's an intentionality there. So let's, le let's, let's read into this more. The lesson is, is we're going to answer for how well or how poorly we treated others who were in need. And who are the least of these? Who are these people that Jesus speaks of? I mean, obviously, on the surface, you can see it's probably the marginal people of society, the poor, the sick, the imprisoned. You know, he specifically names them, right? But how about the lost? The sick who don't even realize they need a physician. How many of us, at one point in our lives, we were so lost and sick and didn't even realize it was Jesus that we needed or were looking for until we found him? And so the, the bottom line here is, is that we show our love for Jesus by loving and serving other people or by going for others. Going for others. See, when we go for others, we're living in obedience to the greatest commands. Love him and love others. And this is explained through Matthew 25. He says that you loved me when you loved them. 
And so what's happening is, is we're being obedient to the call. We're living out what he's told us to live out. Loving God and others isn't just this affectionate feeling towards God and people. And I think sometimes that's what we think. I love Jesus. I love God. We'll say those things. We'll sing the songs. We'll mean it. But it ends there. It's more of an emotional connection. But can you imagine if all I ever did was tell my wife I loved her and never showed her? How long would that last? I mean, she's Portuguese, so not long at all. <laughs> you got beaten. But this, this love that God is talking about, it's this intentional, predetermined mindset that navigates how we live this life. It navigates everything. It permeates everything. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's why we do. Right? So Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So fulfill the law of Christ. Not the suggestion, you know? Not the, if you feel like it when it's convenient. No. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to date myself and some of you. But who here has heard of Keith Green? Come on, you older folks. All right, I see you there. It's all right, early 80s. Keith Green was a, a, a Christian singer from the early 80s, and his music was uh, extremely theologically sound. And I had no idea who he was until Deb Foley actually introduced me to him and let me borrow a, a cassette. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he had this song titled Sheep and the Goats, right? And it was written from this chapter in Matthew, chapter 25, and how the shepherd will separate the righteous sheep from those unrighteous, stinky, filthy goats. And he sings about the way the shepherd distinguishes them between the two, excuse me, distinguishes between the two groups by examining the sacrificial love that they have shown toward the least of these. That's how he's going to distinguish us, right? So in the song's last line, Green gives this final commentary on the passage, and I love it. It's the best part of the song. It wraps it all up nicely. He says, and my friends, the only difference between the sheep and the goats according to this scripture, is what they did and didn't do. That's the only difference, our actions. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't. It matters what you do. All the best intentions in the world are not what God desires. Good intentions lead us to hell. It's action and doing that lead us into the arms of Christ. And so Green's reminding us that loving and living for Jesus means loving like Jesus. It's not easy to do. But I ask you this today, Christian. Are you living in a loveless hypocrisy? Are you living in a loveless hypocrisy? Are you saying, I love, but don't show that love? Are you saying, I love God and I love others and I, and I want to serve and I want to honor him and live for him, but your life says otherwise? We have to examine ourselves, church. We have to be challenged and admonished. We do. Our call to go is not to just say we're busy for the Lord, and I think a lot of us mistake busyness for holiness. 
But it's not this call to busyness at all. It's to say that we loved as we're commanded. And as we live out this commission, we see this call to love others not only as a command, but also as a privilege. It's this privilege of loving people back to life. Loving people back to life. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're called to do, church. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you've read. It doesn't matter how much scripture you memorize. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. None of that matters if you're not loving people back to life. You've missed the message. You're full of knowledge. You're a Pharisee. You're a whitewashed tomb. And so our job is to get out of that tomb. Our job is to come to life in Christ. Our job is to walk in the newness, the newly transformed mind. And if we don't do that, we're stuck. And we're missing the call of Christ. We're lukewarm and we'll be spit out. I want to go to a story in Mark chapter 2. And I'm just going to read the first 12 verses here. And it's something that I've touched on or hinted towards in the last couple of weeks. It's about the paralytic man who was healed. And starting in verse 1 of Mark chapter 2, it says, When he had come back, talking about Jesus, when he had come back to, to Capernaum, several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. Word gets out. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. So studies show, and archaeologists, they say that these houses, a good-sized one, maybe fit 50 people if they were all standing touching. So the house is full, but also it's saying outside the door, which is their courtyard. So there's a crowd of people inside and outside the house. And what's Jesus doing? He's there teaching them, it says, the word, the message, right? And so they're all there to hear it. It says, and they came, they being these men, bringing to him, Jesus, a paralytic carried by four of them. Being unable to get him to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet, or the mat, it might say in your translation, on which this paralytic was lying. Back then, you know, you, you didn't have beds, and so the mat would be rolled up at the end of the day and stuck in the corner, and you had your mat, and you, you slept on that. And this guy's probably lived on his, because he's paralyzed. And so he can't get anywhere. He's reliant. And so they're carrying him on this pallet or this mat. And Jesus, I love this, in verse 5 it says, seeing their faith. He doesn't say seeing his faith. It says seeing their faith. He says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes, some of the really religious people, some of the religious experts on the law, they're sitting there and they're not happy with this because what did he do to deserve this? And so they're sitting there and they're reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can, who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? And I love this. It says, immediately Jesus, aware, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that, that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? They must have been like, whoo, shook. Immediately calls them out. Immediately he, he asserts himself. And I love this. He says, 
Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know I am the son of man and that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your mat, pick up your pallet, go home. And immediately it says he got up, picked up the pallet, and he went out in sight of everyone, important, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. This man who had been crippled his whole life, they all knew him. This is a village in Capernaum. They all know who this guy is. They know he's not capable. They all saw him being carried on this mat by his friends. He went in there one way and came out another. I want you to picture this for a second. Jesus is sitting there in this house jammed with people, right? inside, outside, and maybe he's sitting there, he's teaching, it says, the message, and all of a sudden, he feels like particles of dirt, because that's what their roofs were made of, is sticks and dirt and mud that would dry up. That's why they were able to dig through it. But these particles of dirt are just falling on his head, and the crowd and the people sitting around him, they're probably like, what in the world? What is going on? Joe's going to fix his roof. And all of a sudden, a little daylight breaks through. And they see these hands fervently just digging through the roof. And then more daylight happens, and this big hole opens up, and dirt's falling everywhere. And then this man laying on a mat, he's just being lowered through this opening to the feet of Christ out of desperation from his friends. You know, they could have said, ah, it's really busy today. We, could, we should have got here earlier. We'll come back next week. Oh, he's around. We'll come back tomorrow. Or, you know, we'll keep trying. No. There was desperation there. There was trust. There was faith. There was hope. And so Jesus sees this, and he doesn't get angry or rebuke them. He doesn't heal the man physically at first. No, what does he do? He gives him an even greater, more necessary healing. And he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He asserts his power and his deity in that moment, and the scribes immediately start questioning Jesus and his ability to forgive sins, which opens up this conversation to more teaching. And he says, I forgive because I have that authority. I am God. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. That's why they're there. They're testing him. You know, they want to prove him wrong, but at the same time, they want to know, is this really him? And so he tells them, yes, and then after making that point, he says to this man right in front of them, he says, now pick up your mat and walk. Go home. It's like this Jesus mic drop moment. Not only does he tell them, I am God, he shows them he is God. And this man has been changed forever, spiritually and physically, in that moment. And all the other things that people were probably looking for and listening to, they had no idea that this was about to happen. So it's life-changing for them too, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but if somebody got dropped through the roof right now, and they were healed, and they walked out of here, I'd be like, okay. It's a little more real today, isn't it? That's what's happening all around us all the time. And because we don't see it, 
people being spiritually healed and set free and delivered and all of these other things that God is doing and working in their lives, we, we sort of just sit in, in, in neutral or, or autopilot or cruise control and we just live out this little rut that we've carved of Christianity or what we call Christianity and there's no change. We cruise home safely waiting for our death, hoping it happens at night while we're sleeping. It's not what we're called to, church. Not at all. We're called to radical love, to go for others like these four men did for their friend. They were stopping at nothing to get him to Christ. They were stopping at nothing so that he would be healed because they knew Jesus was the answer. I'm sure this doctors had seen this guy. I'm sure they had tried a million remedies his whole life. We've seen that throughout scripture. The woman with blood Bartimaeus on the side of the road. But here we are. We know that Jesus is the only one who can answer that call. And so these men take him there. This man walks out physically and spiritually healed because he had been in the presence of Jesus. Let me ask you a question by a show of hands. Who needs healing today? Look at that. Right? Probably got about 350 people in this room, give or take. Joe will tell me later. But almost all of you just raised your hands because we live in these finite bodies, this temporary life, and life continues to happen. Brokenness, right? Pain, loss, tragedy, sickness, death. And we need Jesus desperately. I'm going to tell you this. If you need healing today, you're in the right place. You're listening to the right message about the right God because Jesus heals. He may not heal the way we want or expect. He may not answer our prayers as quickly as we want him to, but rest assured that he heals the way we need to be healed. And I look at Pastor Brian's situation, and, and you know, I look at him this week and how much better he is this week than even last week, and I watch the process happening, and you know, I, there's moments where I'm like, God, would you just do something miraculous today? Lord, would you just give him full mobility today? Would you do something like that? And then I realize he's doing so much more than that. I realize what he's doing is rallying people around him. What I realize he's doing is he's changing Becky. He's changing the kids. He's changing us, all of his friends that are standing around him. He's using this situation. All we see is sickness sometimes. All we see is the giant before us, right? We sang that song. I may not be facing that Goliath, but I have my own giants. Is that how it goes, Christina? I Sorry if I, I, don't, I won't sing it, don't worry. But, but here's the thing. You know, I'm reading last night about David and Goliath, and I'm reading all these facts about it. And in this story, we miss something. Let me tell you what we miss. Is we just see this basic moment where a young shepherd boy meets a seasoned military giant, a weapon of the Philistines. And, and we see that as like this overwhelming moment and we see God in that moment because we see David's faith and he says, who are you to stand up and to ridicule and to criticize and challenge the army of the living God? Who are you? And he comes at him with courage and he comes at him with faith and he kills him, right? And we were like, whoa, this kid just killed a giant and everybody thinks that's the miracle is that this little guy killed this big guy. 
And a lot of times we miss the bigger story. We miss the bigger story. We think that, you know, that David was outmatched, but he wasn't. David was never outmatched. And let me tell you why. Because the years prior to this event, God was preparing him for it. Because God, as he was cultivating faith in his life, as he was teaching him as a shepherd to kill the lion, to kill the bear, and sharpen his skills with his sling. Let me tell you about slings in the Middle East. They're still used. And from 200 yards, they can kill people like a gun. And so when, when the Philistine comes down and he's intimidating this army, and they, you know, they would do this often, like one soldier for one soldier rather than killing a mass, they're all scared. They're like, oh, I don't want to fight that guy. Look at him. He's nine feet tall. He's, he's gigantic. He's going to tear me apart. David, it looks at him and goes, are you guys kidding me right now? He takes his sling, run towards him, and just shoots him in the head with it and drops him. Not because he was outmatched in that moment, because God had prepared him. And some of us don't even realize you're in a season of preparation, that your whole life he's been working in you and cultivating things in you, and he's perfecting things in you. So that way, when those giants come, you're ready and they are outmatched. Stop looking at your giants as bigger than your God and start seeing your God as bigger than your giants. That's who our God is. He has prepared us and is preparing us. So when those giants come, I look again at Pastor Brian laying in that bed, prisoner in his own body, and I see things like closer to Jesus than I've ever been. Praise God, he's so good. And I realize God has been preparing him his whole life for that moment. Can you imagine going into that not knowing the Lord? Oh. He's been preparing him for that giant for years. It's not the moment that the sling hits him, you know, David hits him with the sling in the forehead. It's the years prior to it. See the big picture, church. What is God doing in your life right now? What giant is coming? Will you be ready for it? Because that's the question. I'm going to tell you right now, the, the mortality rate is 100%, and every single one of us will pass from this world at one point. And we will lose people we love, and we will face loss, and we will face tragedy. And that is life, because this is temporary. It's not about this life. It's about the eternal one, and that's what Jesus offers, is he opens our eyes so we can see beyond it. So that way, when those giants come, when those tragedies come, when the hurt comes, when the sickness comes, whatever it is, we're ready to slay that giant. And that's the call. That's what we need to be ready for. And that's how we're going for others matters because some people don't even realize that they need Jesus. They don't even realize it. And we're all on the mat at one point or another, aren't we? And without the love of good friends, sometimes it's really hard to get up and fight. I've been there. I have. You know, and I, I've been listening again, as I said last week, to a lot of Pastor Brian's sermons lately. And I've been going back, you know, obviously tracking with the past year and just making sure we're on mission. And, and, and I'm, I'm sort of, you know, being a good steward here as his friend stepping in. And I, I said to Sam, it was kind of a weird picture, but I said it was like me sitting on dad's lap steering the car. <laughs> and I can't get that vision out of my head now of me sitting on Brian's lap steering the car. But at the end of the day, that's all it is. Right? God's been preparing me so Brian could go through this, and he's preparing all of us. I mean, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about any of us. 
God's got a plan and a mission and he won't let us get in the way. And so I'm listening to these sermons and, and again, go back and listen to it. April 30th, it's called Whatever It Takes. And Brian said this, when you're weak and you can't walk, it's good to have some friends to carry you. Man, almost prophetic, right? And then he goes on to say, that's what happened to me in my brokenness when he was desperate. People came alongside and they picked up his mat and they carried him to Christ. See, going for others means fighting for others when they can't. That's what it looks like. There are times in our lives when we don't even have the ability or the wherewithal to drag ourselves to the foot of the cross. And we may not be physically unable, right? We can allow shame, guilt, exhaustion, defeat, depression, anger, loneliness, and many other things to cripple us and keep us away. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. We isolate. Oh, I'm not, I can't go to church today. I'm hurting. I got this going on. Or I can't be. Guess what? This is the first place you should be. You're, you're vulnerable when you're alone. You're vulnerable when you pull away from the body. That's where Satan wants you. And you will die in that misery if you don't fight for it. And if we don't come alongside of you and carry your mat for you, then we're missing the mark too. We're all called. It's not a blame on one person. This is a community. What is community? It's relationship. It means we do this together. We don't wait for people to show up. When someone's missing, we reach out. And guess what? There's about 600 people that come through the doors here on Sunday, you know, give or take, that are connected here. There's no way that your pastors can, can stay in contact with all 600 people on a weekly basis. We need you. And that is not a high ask. Because if you're do, doing community right and cultivating relationship as you should, then you should want to do that. We shouldn't even have to say, hey, could you reach out to so-and-so? Because they haven't been here for a while. It should be like, hey, pastor, you know who hasn't been here for a while? I reached out to them this week. They're going through X, Y, and Z. Thank you. We cannot say this word enough here in this room or from this pulpit, and that word is community. It cannot be said or expressed enough. We don't create, I'm sorry, when we don't create, and we're not connected to a solid community, then we become extremely vulnerable. Vulnerable to sin, vulnerable to temptation, and as I said, it will pull us further and further away from Jesus, who is the source of our healing, and we'll start to look for healing in other things. Another relationship, alcohol, drugs, Netflix. <laughs> We've got vices upon vices, don't we? We've got all these distractions and options at our hands, and we'll choose all of them before Christ sometimes. And he is the source of our healing. Stop distracting yourself from the pain. Allow that pain to bring you closer to the cross. That is where change happens. That is where growth happens. And so when I say connected, I don't just mean affiliated. Like I go to this church once in a while. That's not what I mean. I mean connected and doing life with a community, as the Bible calls us. I said it last week, and I'll keep saying this. Small community builds big community. There's no way that this can be the apex of your Christian walk. Sure, this is your battle station. 
You come here to be equipped and battle ready so when you walk out that door, you're ready to face the world, you're ready to face the darkness, and you're ready to live for Christ. Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you this. It also, in the most vital piece of this, reason why we have community groups and we have Bible studies on Monday nights for men and Tuesday nights for women and Wednesday night for everybody. The reason we do that is because we realize that in community, smaller community, where we can have more interaction, right, build more relationship, is where we're going to grow and strengthen and become the backbone of our church. And that's the reality. If you're neglecting those things, rethink that. That is where you're going to grow. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says this. He says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And I love this. He makes sure to add this. Be patient with them all. <laughs> admonish the idle. That is what I'm trying to do this morning, church. As, as those of you who are just kind of in park right now, that you're just sort of stuck in this place where your, your Christianity is maybe showing up on Sunday once in a while, or every week even, there's more. I want to I move you. I want God to move you through me. I want you to see that this is not what he had in mind when he said to be the church, to live this out, to make disciples. He didn't say, go and be an observer or a fan and sit on the sidelines. That's not what he said. It's about equipping and living and doing life together. We need to go for others when they can't, just like this man on the mat. We see how the faith of his friends took part in what healed him. This is why we pray for each other. This is why we move for each other. Verse 5, go back to it. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Their faith, he says. Because the men fully trusted Jesus, Jesus gave this man the greatest gift, far better than making his legs work. He gave him forgiveness of sins. He gave him eternal life. And because this man's friends fought for him when he couldn't, he ended up with a place in God's kingdom. Who do you need to go for today? Whose mat do you need to carry? Every single one of you, as I said that, thought of somebody, or you're trying to right now. There's people in your family. There's friends, co-workers, neighbors that you need to go for. They're laying on that mat, and you've been too polite or apprehensive you don't want to overstep your boundaries or say too much or a fear that they might push you away, shun you, mock you, laugh at you, reject you, whatever it is. You've made that more important than the call of God on your life. And so whose mat do you need to carry today? Whose is it? Don't get caught up with emotions or expectations. If there's someone in your life that needs to be brought to Jesus, then figure out how to get them there. Get creative. Get motivated. See beyond their actions and words. Know that the lost are lost, that they can't possibly understand what we know. And so our job is just to go for others, and that means fighting for those who can't until they can fight for themselves. 
Going for others means loving people even when they aren't lovable or don't want to receive your love. And there's no greater example than that than, of that than Jesus Christ. Right? No greater example. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus demonstrates this when he lays down his life for all of us. See, according to Jesus himself, in John chapter 13, it says we are mandated now by him to do the same, to love others as he loved us. He laid down his life. Now, you may not be called to literally lay down your life, not here in this country, but you know, I was talking to Paul Valacourt before the service, and he reminded me that on Christmas Day, 142 Christians were killed in the Middle East for being Christians. Praise the Lord that we don't have to face that. But I'll tell you what, we do take it for granted. Laying down our lives in this culture may look like giving in a way that's a little inconvenient. Serving, giving your time, your resources, your talents. Showing up when you don't feel like it. Putting up with someone's garbage. Anybody got annoying people in their life? Just one? You're lucky. Paul, it's me? Right? Jesus doesn't make any disclaimer. He says, unless they're annoying, unless they're difficult, unless they reject you. Jesus was mocked and beaten and spat on until he was killed. And he kept moving forward. He did that for us. And, and it says in Romans 5.8 that while we were still sinners, while we were dead, while we were in revolt against him and rebellion, Christ died for us. That's unconditional love. And that's how we're supposed to love. God's grace reached us when we were undeserving and living at enmity with him. And while we were still denying him and unlovable, Jesus was loving us. Are you loving like that? Are we loving like that? Just like this man who was lowered through the roof, we may have other handicaps that we think need attention first, but God actually uses these things in our vulnerability to bring us to life spiritually. The very thing that you're seeking freedom from may be the very thing that God is using to bring you to him and to transform your life. And all you're doing is focusing on that problem, and God is saying, no, silly, I'm using this. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be brought low. Reach out to him. Loving people while they're unlovable can make quite an impact, can't it? I don't know about you, but I remember this, and, and this is, you know, again, no indictment against the church, but I'm going to tell you, you know, I had gone to the church for 10, 11 years when I was a very broken and addicted man. And I knew that, you know, there was truth to this gospel, and I knew I needed it. The problem was is I couldn't get to a place where I could surrender to it because I was so addicted and broken in and of myself. And there were a handful of people, less than six, that came alongside of me and loved me back to life, that were there for me no matter what. And that's sad if you think about it because most of the other people kind of made space. They looked the other way or they gave me that look. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And that's not at all what we're called to, right? The people who did love me, though, 
They impacted me deeply. And I'll never forget them. They showed me Christ. They introduced me to Jesus, not just through the scriptures that were being preached from the pulpit, not just through the Bible studies, but the way they actually lived it out and showed me this is what it looks like. That changed my life forever, and it'll change the lives of so many other people around us if we could just start loving like that. And the church fails at that. We're not that good at it. We're really not. We're very conditional. And we need to get better. Going for others means loving even the unlovable were in their most unlovable state. And that's going to be challenging. But that's the call. Radical love means going beyond our human capacity to love and loving like Jesus. Going for others means living out the Great Commission through intentional relationship. Discipleship is based in relationship, so there's no way around it. And I'm going to say this again. We are called to make disciples, not converts. I'll continue to stress this. God has placed you in these places, in these families, in these workplaces for a reason. And in those places, he's placed specific people in your midst that you have been appointed to love back to life. Whether you like it or not. Trust me, there were people who didn't like loving you either. Probably still don't. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? So in order for some people to hear the gospel message, they must see and experience it as well. And so church, our job is to constantly build the kingdom through the building of relationships. And it starts right here, right now, in this place. It starts in our group of people, our body here at CFC. In order to live out this great commission, then it needs to become a lifestyle, not just a momentary response when it's convenient. And so authentic, Christ-centered relationships require intentional effort, unconditional love, and an investment of time. And these are the relationships that Jesus has called us to, and it's only within the context of these relationships that we can begin to disciple one another. So going for others means building relationships and continuously discipling one another as these relationships grow and multiply. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. See some of you closing your eyes, so that's my, my cue. <laughs> I'm going to read something out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. It says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's really that simple. If he loved us, then we ought to love one another. Jesus has given us the example. He's given us the commands. And we don't need some fancy new approach that appeals to the culture around us. We really don't. We just need to love, serve, and share the truth. Stop trying to reinvent the wheel. Your ways are not as good as his. Altars are open. And I want you to think about this. Where are you? Whose mat do you need to carry? What needs to change in your life and how you see others? If you've recently received Jesus as your Lord and Savior or even recommitted your life to him, you should probably make your way forward so we can pray for you. We want to talk with you. We want to pray and equip and disciple you. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done in and around all of us. So the only way that work will be accomplished is if we sit first at the feet of Jesus and allow him to minister to us, church. 
So your invitation is open to come now to be healed and made whole so you can go for others.